pad up. It's the Australian Cricket Podcast. And here are your hosts. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Metzel, and I wasn't sure I would do any podcast this week, but I've been lucky enough to get another very special guest interview. My special guest this time is Brisbane Heat, Queensland Bulls and Sunrisers Hyderabad all-rounder Ben Cutting. Ben has also represented Australia in four one-day internationals and four T20 internationals. So enjoy this chat with all-rounder Ben Cutting. Hi Ben, welcome to the Australian Cricket Podcast. How are you today? Great, thanks. Do you listen to podcasts? Uh, I do, but uh, generally more music ones than anything else, but uh, pretty excited to be a part of this one. Well, I'm really glad you could take the time to come on. We've got a lot to get through today. First thing I wanted to ask you was, how is the uncertainty affecting your preparations for the upcoming summer with the MOU negotiations? Uh, to be honest, from my perspective, and I know a lot of the other Queensland Bulls, it's not really you know, affecting our preparation at all. We're still doing pre-season uh, hitting as many balls, you know, bowling as many balls as we would any other year. So uh, we're just hoping that it's all going to work itself out in the next, uh, you know, the next month or so before, before the Matador Cup kicks off uh, late September, early October. Yeah, does that sort of uncertainty just on a personal level affect your mental state? Is it, you know, I know with me, if you're moving house or you're changing jobs, you know, it can really throw you off. Is, is this at the moment sort of putting you on edge or are you okay? Uh, look, I'm okay personally. I, I know probably a lot of the young guys. Uh, we've certainly got one or two boys in our squad um, that have come into you know the Bulls squad on contract for the first time this year. So uh, they've probably quit their jobs, and you know, in the lead up to pre-season to to get a bit of everything they've got and to find out that there's no contract for them and there's no income coming in. Uh, I think that's probably a fair bit harder for the young blokes that uh, you know just starting out. Yeah, it's a tough situation, I guess, while it's being resolved. Um, all right, well, let's let's hope that gets sorted out and you guys can get back to playing cricket as soon as possible. Um, yeah. Now, I want to take you, take the listeners right back to when you made your one-day international debut for Australia in 2013 against uh, Sri Lanka at the Adelaide Oval. Uh, just how, how did you find out you were going to be playing for Australia that day? Uh, I think from memory, it was all a fair bit of a blur, to be honest, but I think I found out the night before. Um, I believe that was the second or third ODI uh, in the lead-up before I made, up my, made my debut when I was in the squad. Uh, we travelled to a few a few other uh, grounds in the meantime, and I think I was running drinks as 13th or 14th. But um, when I got the tap on the shoulder you know, that night before, was was pretty exciting. I had mum and dad travelling around to each ground uh, with me as well, just in case uh, they, they didn't miss it. Who presented your Aussie gold cap? Do you remember? Uh, Greg Chappell. Greg Chapel, that's a pretty good one to present it to you. Did he? Um, did he have any words for you? Uh, to be honest, I'm sure he did, but I cannot remember them. Yeah, it's funny because uh, I've heard other cricketers say that that they they just the whole time they're fixated on getting the cap. They're just looking at either the baggy green or the gold cap, and they just want to get it in their hands. Is that how you felt? Yeah, look, I've seen photos from from the cap presentation that day from both myself and Kane Richardson. It's all looking back on it now. It's all very much a blur. Um, I certainly remember the game and exactly what happened in that game. Um, But the lead up to it, not so much. And, you know, when you sort of reflected on playing for Australia, who was it in your life that you wanted to thank the most? Uh, It had to be mum and dad. I suppose, you know, backyard cricket growing up, as as most guys start out, was, was where it was all at for me with, 
mum and dad and the rest of the family. So uh, it was definitely definitely on them. Yeah, a lot of time driving you from cricket ground to from cricket ground to cricket ground on the weekends. That's right, and uh, and facing me in, in the backyard or or bowling a few to me as well. Now, I heard you in another interview saying that you have a little bit of OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder. And I've often thought that to be a really successful international sportsman or cricketer, you need to have a little bit of that obsessive nature and obsessive attention to detail. How how do you feel about that? Uh, I I tend to agree and disagree. Certainly there's times out on the field or at training, I wish that I wasn't as OCD as I am. Particularly the way the cricket landscape's changed, you need to be a lot more adaptable, both on and off the field, with all that sort of stuff, uh, you know, as opposed to five, six, even ten years ago. The OCD thing, is that a, you know, does that creep into your personal life, or is it just sort of something that you have touches of? Uh, probably touches of, I think. You know, I've, I've quite niche around the, around the home, so when the boys come over, they like to, to mess things around <laughs> a bit and move place things around the house where they otherwise probably shouldn't have been. So uh, the boys, you know, have a bit of a bit of fun at expense of mine. But when it comes to the cricket, it, it's not – I've probably got better at it, put it that way. That's good. I, I, yeah, because I think, um, you know, especially batsmen, is, you know, batting – you just want to bat all the time in the nets and it's hard to get – it can be hard to get the bat out of your hand if you've got that obsessive nature. That's right. And there is such a thing as that overtraining. You know, you can bowl too many balls or hit too many balls – um, which, you know, is detrimental to your game. I think I read that you used to live with Usman Khawaja. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. He uh, he lived with me uh, in Hawthorne in Brisbane for, for a number of years and then he uh, moved out and, and bought his own place. So it's a little bit more lonely now without him. Was he tidy enough for you? No, not at all. Really? Messy Usman? Was... <laughs> no, he, he wasn't too bad. Um, I, I was staring up a bit and he likes to stir me up about my OCD. <laughs> there you go. All right, well, now you've had some great experiences over playing in the IPL for the Sunrisers Hyderabad. Most notably, you were the man of the match in the 2016 IPL final when you played under David Warner in the Sunrisers Hyderabad and won the title. I guess try and give the listeners an understanding of what it's like to be IPL champion in India. Uh, I suppose it's like the EPL, uh, you know, soccer final over in the UK. That's Wow probably on par of, of how big it is for the country uh, and the sport. So, um, you know, to be able to, to win that as a team, you know, two years ago was, was very, very exciting. Was that the biggest game you've ever played in, do you think? Without a doubt, yeah. Uh, it's certainly the biggest game I've ever played. Obviously, playing for Australia is massive. Um, but I read somewhere after the, after the game, uh, there was something like 80 or 90 million people tuning in wow. uh, around the world. And after you mounted the match performance, did you get a lot of interest interest from franchises worldwide? Uh, I did, yes. Yeah, I was, um, you know, a lot of hard work leading up to that that was probably, you know, produced the fruits of that. Uh, unfortunately, there's, you know, uh, I was supposed to go to the Caribbean uh, just the last couple of days for CPL, probably on the back of that IPL final, but injured at the moment. But hopefully there's, you know, a few more opportunities courtesy of that 18 months ago. So what injury do you have at the moment? Uh, I've done a hernia uh, in, in pre-season camp a couple of weeks ago. So I had surgery on that, and um, I'm getting back up and running again just in time for the Matador Cup. Okay, and what team were you supposed to play for in the CPL? Uh, I was heading over to St. Kitts and Nevis, uh, which would have been a fantastic opportunity. We had um, Samuel Badry and, and Chris Gale you know, leading the charge for those guys. 
Wow, that is a bit of a bummer to miss that gig out. I have Lisa Stalaker on the show here, and she got the call up to commentate on the CPL, and she's thrilled to be heading off to the Caribbean to do some commentary. So I can imagine, as a player, that's a pretty good gig to get. Yeah, you're not wrong. It was. Uh, I was certainly very excited to to get the nod in the draft. You know, a couple of months ago, pretty disappointed now not to get over there. And I believe the first couple of games of that tournament are also. Uh, in Miami next week. So that would be very exciting for you know, world cricket. Yeah, well, hopefully you'll get the chance uh, next year to go over there. What do you think the IPL experience has done for your game? I suppose not playing a lot of cricket, you know, international cricket, that experience you know, on, on other wickets outside of Australia, particularly the subcontinent, uh, can only expand your game, particularly when you come back here to play. I think I've been there five or six times now, and I've only, for the first three or four years, I didn't play a game at all. So there's a lot of time training, you know, eight weeks each, each stint, a lot of time training and, and working hard in the gym and off the field, you know, on your game to try and get into the 11. Yeah, how do you find that sort of time on the sidelines? I think you played four games last year and four games the year before. I mean, is that frustrating for you? Yeah, it can be very frustrating. It's, um, but that's the nature of the beast of, of, you know, IPL cricket is that, you know, most squads have eight or nine international players, but at any one time, only four can play in the 11. So, you know, I look at uh, Pune Super Giants this year who came runner up in the final. You know, Fakhtu Plessy and Usman Khawaja, two of the, you know, the, one, two of the best bats in the world, not, not really getting a game at all. Yeah, I almost think they could change that from four to five or six in each IPL side. I think, you know, a couple more per team would be great for the competition. I think that wouldn't be a bad shout, particularly if they increased the number of teams in the tournament and went to went to 10 instead of 8. Uh, you could certainly increase the international players to 5 or 6 and still keep that depth, you know, of the Indian players. There. In the end, people want to see the international players. I mean, the Indians want to help their own cricketers develop and that's all well and good, but internationally you want to see the best stars competing and duking it out for the IPL title. That's right, and that's, uh, that's why they all come through the gates, and that's why 80 or 90 million people tune into you know, the IPL final each year. And um, I always ask this question. I'm, I'm trying to sort of get a gauge of how the standard of the Big Bash compares to the IPL. And, you know, I've heard varying things that the IPL is just slightly above the Big Bash in standard. Um, what do you think? It's, I find it difficult to compare, and I get asked a lot, uh, you know, quite a bit about that. Um, you know, as a as a local playing in Australia, we're used to wear wickets. Uh, we know they're very, you know, batter friendly, very flat, always lots of run score, particularly at the Gabba. But then to go as an outsider to another country, you do find those conditions more difficult. So uh, I'm sure that you could ask the same question to an Indian if they came and played in the Big Bash and then the IPL. Um, they would probably find the standard a lot di- more difficult over here in conditions that they're not really used to. Yeah, right. David Warner was your captain. For the Sunrisers, Hyderabad. What sort of a, a captain is he? No, he's fantastic. He's one of the best, um, one of the best captains I've played under uh, in recent years. Uh, very much a bowler's captain. We're very happy to to run with whatever plan you see fit and set whatever field you need to. Obviously, if there's changes to be made, you know, with those fields and those plans, he'll make them, but he'll give you first crack at them first. Uh, so he certainly backs his bowlers to the hilt, which is which is what you want in a captain, particularly in. You know, the 2020 format when everything happens so fast. Yeah, how is it, you know, at the end of a T20 game, you know, you might be defending a total or you're, you're trying to keep the batting side down. I mean, did, is it hard to keep your cool out there? And, you know, when you're talking to your captain, is it is it tough to keep a lid on your emotions? Yeah, without a doubt. 
particularly as a bowler bowling in in those death overs. You know, people don't come through the gates to watch car, uh, you know stumps cartwheel. They come to see you get hit over the ropes and, and out of the stadium as a bowler. Um, so you know you're on the the rough end of the stick from ball one. Uh, so just try and close out an innings with the game on the line. You you really got to play as if you've got nothing to lose. And how's the dynamic then in these IPL franchises where you know your opponents and your, your state rivals and your, your big bash rivals, and all of a sudden you're there in a in an environment working together. What's that feeling like, and how do you sort of gel together? Uh, these days you probably gel a fair bit easier than you know probably back five or ten years because. We are all playing in the same team at some point or another. It makes those those games when you come up and clash against each other probably not as often anymore. Uh, you know, I know five or six years ago we used to you know clash considerably against Victoria, uh, and that you know that dates all the way back to you know Wade Second and Darren Berry playing as well. Yeah, I've heard that the uh, rivalry between Victoria and Queensland is pretty spiteful. As a matter of fact. And look, I'm a big New South Wales fan, so I'll, I'll go on record as saying that. But it seems like everyone has a pretty spiteful rivalry against Victoria. Why do they fire up the opponent so much? <laughs> I'm really, I'm not sure. Uh, we've, we've had some good blow-ups over the years. It's it's just the, the, the way the different states play. You can't really compare to uh, you know, a Tassie or, or someone else because, uh, well, for starters, Tassie have a lot of their Queensland guys, so they're just all round good fellas. <laughs> The Victorians, uh, you know, just they just play different cricket, and that's and that works for them. So, they is it the AFL? It. Do you think it's the AFL influence? Uh, it could be. I, I really can't put my finger on it, but it's certainly not as not as probably harsh as it is now as it was a couple of years ago. Probably because we all play against and with each other now around the world. It takes the the fire out a little bit. Do you? Are there any batsmen or? opponents that particularly fire you up when you get the ball in the hand? you think, I'm going to bowl a little bit quicker this one? <laughs> um, I always have a good battle. I used to have a good battle with Usman Khawaja before he came and played uh, played for us. Uh, I'll still wind him up to this day about a couple of times I've knocked him over. and he <laughs> It's pretty quick to remind me the amount of times he's hit me over the ropes and, and brought up three figures as well. And uh, do you like to have a few words every now and then with the batsman? Uh, not really anymore. I used to be um, probably a serial chatter back when I was a bit younger and, and probably bowling a little bit quicker as well. But, uh, you know, these days I've probably mellowed a little bit more in my old age. And do you think it's also a little bit about just sort of focusing on, you know, what you can control, bowling a good ball rather than getting distracted by, you know, giving it to someone? That's right. I think But then you can go the other way and you can start thinking about it too much. And that's certainly when you get, you know, when you run into trouble both with the bat and the ball. So... Uh, you know, if you start distracting yourself with other things and your mind's not really on the job. Yeah, used to happen to me all the time. Now, <laughs> I want to um, talk about the, the leadership group at the Brisbane Heat. You made the semifinals of the Big Bash last year, heartbreaking exit to the Sixers at the Gabba. But you've got a real Kiwi influence up there. Brendan McCullum, the captain, Dan Vittori, the coach, and uh, I do know that Dan Vittori listens to podcasts, so he might listen to this, you never know. Um, but what is sort of, what is, I guess, Dan Vittori bring as a coach? Because Australian listeners probably don't know a lot about him. No, that's right. He was always, you know, very quiet behind the scenes in the way when he went about his work when he, uh, when he played. And uh, I suppose the brand of cricket he brings really suits the Brisbane He is that it's so fun and relaxed. But he's very, uh, not, I wouldn't say technical, but he's very, very good with his planning, which is probably why he was such a great player as well, because he did that all through his career. 
Uh, so when you get heads like Daniel Vittori, James Hopes is another very good player and planner, uh, and Brendan McCullum into the mix, and Shane Bond as well. Um, that's a pretty formidable lineup for the coaching staff. And uh, it's a lot about T20 cricket sort of, you know, matching up properly, you know, trying to find the best matchups bowler and batsman-wise and plans. Is that sort of a lot of what the preparation is? Yeah, um, and particularly on the grounds that we play at, knowing the dimensions and where to bat, where to score and, and where not to bowl as well because, you know, there's quite often the big bash. For whatever reason, the wickets are always on, on one side. So you have one very short boundary and one very big boundary, particularly at the gather, which, you know, makes defending hard with the ball. So, you know, we know if we can bat well and, and score plenty of runs, the game will be won with the ball, uh, not really with the bat at the gather. I never really thought about that, about the shortness of the boundaries, but how much planning has to go into the dimensions of the ground. It's just not something, I guess, the fans think of as much. No, that's right. And I know, you know, you, you bowl from the short end of the Gabba. If you can get away, you know, three your three overs, bowling to the short end, you know, under 11, 12 and over, uh, that's probably a win. And then you go to other grounds or you bowl from the other ground. The other, you know, towards the big end, mm. you're probably looking at you want, you know, you want sevens or eights and over as a bowler. Also, last summer, did you get a chance to have a swim at the Gabba in the pool? <laughs> uh, I did early on in the season. Yeah, we had a training session which was, you know, a balmy 35 degrees and 90 percent humidity in Queensland, and we snuck in there after training one night about six o'clock. Yeah, I reckon that's a great addition to the Gabba. What did the players think? I think that they find it fantastic. I know the boys jumped in there after that semi-final loss to the Sixers. I'm not sure what time of evening that was, but they certainly enjoyed it. <laughs> um, now, I want to run a few changes to the Big Bash that I've got. I've got a few ideas. I want to throw at a, a, a current Big Bash player. The first idea I've had is, what about in the crowd, if you catch a six, you get to keep the ball, like in the baseball? Yeah, we discussed that um, a couple of years ago. I know uh, I talked about it a lot with our, you know, our, and now our chairman of the board, Sal Vasta, uh, was one of the things he, he came up with when the Big Bash first started. Um, it's a hard one. I'd like to see it from a fan perspective, but then on the flip side of that, you know, chopping and changing balls throughout the innings, uh, it makes it hard. Do you always play with a brand new ball or do you always play with the ball at 10 overs old? Just keep swapping them out. Yeah, I think the latter, you'd have like a sort of semi-scuffed ball always yeah. ready. But do you guys work on the ball in the T20 game, Julian? I mean, it's not like a red ball that you're trying to get one side shiny. Is it? Do you even bother shining it that much? Not really, uh, particularly not over in, you know, over here in Australia. Over in India, you know, 20 overs is enough on their abrasive wickets to get the ball going Irish in some grounds. So there's probably a lot more work goes into it over there than it does here. I think the crowd would love that, keeping the ball. How do you feel about expanding the Big Bash? Next summer, they've added more games. How do you feel about perhaps going to even as much as the IPL where there's like 14 games and everyone plays each other twice? I think it's a a fantastic idea. I'd just be conscious of expanding too far. Uh, The last thing you want, you know, a couple of years down the track is having, having too many games. You'd rather have, you know, at the end of the Big Bash, leave the crowd and the viewers wanting more rather than getting too much. Yeah, you don't want to sort of saturate the market too much. That's right. Now, I'm on a campaign to get uh, Christmas Day and Christmas Eve Big Bash cricket off the ground. I know one of your teammates, Chris Lynn, said he's not a fan. Um, What do you think about playing on Christmas Day? Uh, I think if it happens, it would have to be one of the derbies, either Melbourne and Melbourne or Sydney and Sydney. 
uh, because you don't really want you know, to drag guys away from their family to fly you know, interstate for one of those games. I know we did it a, a couple of years ago. We played on Boxing Day over in Perth, and we flew out on Christmas Day late in the afternoon, and, and trying to squeeze it in like that, there just wasn't enough preparation to you know, prepare for the game properly, going travelling so far, but then spending time with your family and watches you know, such an important part of the year. Yeah. What about the pro- promotional benefits to that, though? I mean, if you look at, like, the NBA, the, the basketball in America, you know, Christmas Day is one of the, some of the best viewing they get all season. So if you were to put a Big Bash game on Christmas Day, it could do wonders for the sort of view, viewing of cricket. I mean, I know me, I'd love to watch a Big Bash game on Christmas Day. Yeah, it could do. Um, it, it's certainly an interesting one. and I know it's been talked about and thrown around it for you know, probably 12 months now. Um, I know if, if there was a game on Christmas Day, I'd certainly sit down and watch it. But I'm not sure how many guys would like to, you know, partake in that on Christmas Day when there's such, you know, so many other days of cricket in the in the year. Yeah, my idea to induce the plays was financial bonus because you could charge so much for the ads on that day that you could pass on a bit of that to the players. So just spread that around to training that you know Menes wants you all to get paid extra to play on Christmas Day. I'll throw it around, but it could be uh, you know tough in the current climate of sorting out this MOU still. Yeah, yeah this, this, this is the holding it up. Um, now, when I was doing some research into this, and I had a question about bowlers' safety and T20 bowlers wearing headgear, and it was interesting. I believe you're engaged to get married to Erin Holland, who's a former Miss World and a presenter and actor on Australian TV, and she said that she worries about you getting injured. So... Have you ever thought about wearing headgear as a T20 bowler? I have, but I'm more worried that there's a rumour floating around that enga- we're engaged because that's certainly not the case. It's not the case? <laughs> not the wow. case. Wow, you need to get onto this. See, I don't read the tabloids, but I, I just saw this come up on um, Google, something about this. So it's not, so it's not, it's not you, can, you can dispel the rumour on this podcast. I can dispel the rumour. Um, we don't normally break the... the other rumour of, of fast bowlers getting hit. It's an interesting one. I know... Uh, last year and the year before, leading up to the Big Bash, Luke Feldman is a very big uh, Jonathan Thurston fan. Obviously, JT wears the headgear, so Luke Feldman went out and bought uh, a set of headgear that he was running in and bowling with. Not sure that's going to protect his nose or his eye socket, but it might help uh, help, help stop something. Yeah, but do you think it's seriously it's something that they should look at doing? I mean, you had that poor bloke in England, you know, get his skull cracked open. I mean, something like a, a rugby style headgear. Um, or, you know, in baseball, they're developing a pitcher's kind of helmet. I mean, you know, it's something maybe that has to be considered. It certainly has to be considered. I just don't know how they'd go about doing it. I know, particularly playing at the Gabba in the middle of summer, it's so hot you would struggle to wear something on your head um, that would constrict you like that in the heat. You know, there's certainly been a number of spells where I've been close to just taking my shirt off and just jumping in uh, jumping in one of those ice buckets at fine leg because it is so hot. Yeah. Now, do you think you're going to get in trouble because I said you're getting engaged when you're not? No, not at all. I'm not sure Aaron's going to be listening anyway. So. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> we'll keep that between you and I. Yeah, and all the listeners. Um, all right, so I've got a couple of questions before I let you go about what's, a, what's ahead for Ben Cutting. Now, you've made a name as a real low-order dasher, big hitter, clearing the pickets all the time. Have you thought about trying to push yourself up, move up the order and become a sort of top order pinch hitter? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, you know, not just in 2020, but all formats. It's, it's a hard one. I'd, I'd, I'd love to give it a crack, but with you know, so many other very good batsmen in, 
in our teams, in all three teams, it's hard to get that opportunity up there in the first place. Yeah, they seem to be, though, using more f- floating roles in T20 cricket. I know, um, is that something that you're sort of part of your role is to be able to go up there when needed? Yeah, and I suppose that comes back to that adaptability in the OCD is that particularly in 2020, I'm, I've got to be ready to go. Um, you know, whenever I'm called on from Dan, I've, I've got a fair idea before the game of when, you know, I'm going to I'm going to be injected into into the field. But um, you know, it can chop and change. You know, as wickets fall. Yeah, definitely. And you know, you were really close to making. A te- well, you're in the Test squad about six, seven years ago now. Obviously, yeah. it might feel a long way from playing Test cricket now. But do you have a plan to get back there? What's your sort of? How do you sort of take that challenge? Uh, it's a big challenge. It's it's tough at the moment. Uh, I know the last couple of years I really only played two or three Shield games a year uh, through various reasons. So it's tough to you know try and push for a Test selection on the back of two or three games. So my focus at the moment is probably probably a lot of that white ball format. And if I do get you know red ball opportunity with Queensland, I'll, I'll be very excited to to try and take it with both hands. So you'd be keen to play in all the uh, T20 franchises around the world. So where do you play? IPL. Australia, CPL, what's next? Um, well, Bangladesh and the South African League that's getting up and running and then Pakistan are, are all very exciting tournaments. Unfortunately, they fall during our domestic season, so uh, I'm not sure of the you know the rules and regulations of the Cricket Australia on those. Yeah, right. You know, when you hang up the boots, do you have any sort of post-playing plans? Do you want to get into the media perhaps? Uh, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know if I could um, be involved in cricket coaching. I might, you know, head down to the local park every now and then to, to do bits and pieces. But uh, I suppose on the flip side of on the side of cricket at the moment, I've set up a, a property development business, which okay. I'll, I'll try and build up the next couple of years before cricket wraps up. Wow! Wow! Sounds like you're a busy man. Um, well, Ben, yeah, thank you so much for joining us in the podcast today. Really good to talk to you. Best of luck uh, preparing for the summer. Let's hope all these negotiations get sorted out and you f- you can get back to full fitness and tear up the big bash. Yeah, thanks very much and thanks for having me on the show. Thank you. Well, listeners, thanks so much to Ben Cutting for giving up his time on the podcast today. And just remember, if you've got a minute, please rate and review the show on iTunes or whatever app you listen to the show on and send me in your entry for the Have A Go Your Mug promotion. If you'd also like to sponsor the show on Patreon, uh, you can go onto the Patreon website and if you subscribe to the show for $5 a month or more, you'll get a free Have A Go Your Mug mug straight away. So thanks again for downloading the show and I'll be back with another special interview very soon. He's played no better shot than that in the whole of this series.